Well, if you read the title of the sermon, uh, the sermon is going to be preached this morning, but if you read the title during the week when the, that was sent out, uh, you might have had to take a double take at the title. Uh, I know I did. I even wrote to the pastor and said, what? So we're going to find out here. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mike. All right. Welcome, everyone. It is great to see you. I shall endeavor to be <clears throat> heard this morning. Uh, uh, vocally, I'm not uh, where I usually am. Some of you might be thankful for that. I don't know. But anyway, a little quieter, but I'll do my best to project so you can hear. If, if at any point you can't hear me in the back, wave until I get louder. Okay. Sometimes I get going and I... I I don't pay. I don't. I don't notice. <laughs> so let me know. All right. First Samuel, please. First Samuel, chapter eighteen. Moving on in our survey of the life of David. First Samuel eighteen. We're going to be reading verses one through twelve. I could have read a little bit more. We could have developed a little bit more, but I. I kind of want to save the last couple of verses of this particular section, which really ends in verse uh, 16. We're going to use that as a kind of a transition into the message next time. Is it, uh, so it will, you'll see it's a little bit repetitive, and so it works out real well that way. So First uh, Samuel 18, verses 1 through 12. If you're able, I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, that is, as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped him of that robe that was on him, and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. This saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. He raved within his house while while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand. Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because Yahweh was with him, but had departed from Saul. God adds his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Please be seated. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at an incredible victory that took place as David confronted Goliath and successfully uh, slew him in a remarkable way. And as a result of that, Israel gained courage and was able to rout the armies of the Philistines, which gave them uh, peace and safety for quite a while. Uh, the, the Philistines were kind of the perennial. They just kept showing up every year. They'd come back for war again and again and again. And uh, they were trounced thoroughly. That's an incredible victory. This blasphemous and arrogant enemy of Israel is now dead, along with thousands of the Philistine army. Peace is brought about at last. And brought about by the courage of a young man who was confident in his God. David's future is now set. Surely he would assume the throne without opposition or hardship, right? 
But if you're familiar with the story of David, you know that that is, that nothing could be further from the truth. It's the exact opposite. You would think that Israel, having uh, known, once, once it became known at least, that David had been anointed, that he was the one, though I don't think many in Israel would have known that at this point yet. Nonetheless, you would think they would have just said, well, okay, that's, that's the Lord's choice. That's what we're going to do. Let's, let's uh, honor him as our king. But uh, in this brief passage here, which is kind of a transitional passage that sets the stage for really all that is going to happen in David's uh, experience going forward, we're going to find out that uh, Yahweh doesn't work the way that we would as a general rule. He didn't immediately work to on the on the on the heels of this fresh victory, which is when you would think, um, if it were us, we would call now's the time, right? Because height of his popularity, this is it. We're getting him in there because this is when everyone's going to accept him the most readily. Yahweh did not do that, and for David, this is really just the beginning. There would be no easy ascent to the throne. Yeah, the title. Uh, the good deed, of course, is the slaying of Goliath and the routing of the Philistines. And all looks really wonderful. And yet, there's opposition that arises immediately. Um, and uh, this, a, a good friend of mine lo- loves to say this. And, and I've seen it worked out many times in life. When uh, it seems like no matter what you do, and if you do it well, you do it right, you try to be biblical, you try to be righteous, try to be wise... And somebody's going to be unhappy. Somebody will step up to make your life miserable. And you just kind of go, oh, what? what's with this? And you got to wonder with David, when you see these things unfold, what was going through his mind, we're not told. But you have to wonder, does, did he look up to heaven and say, Father, I don't understand this. Uh, things should be going really well right now. Why aren't they? And in fact, as we read through uh, and then sang through Psalm 9, um, you know, and then Psalm 34 as well. So David is an old man. Um, you kind of, I, I, I rather expect that somewhere as he was composing those psalms, that his mind strayed back to the experience with Goliath and Saul and you know, seeing how, yes, even though you serve him faithfully, from among the ranks, uh, opposition would arise. But yet, you can still see in those Psalms, David's utter confidence in the hand of Yahweh on his life to accomplish all of his purposes. And so he ends up, even in the midst of opposition, in the midst of, of difficulty, at the hands of others, there's confidence, there's joy, and there's a recognition that God's will is being done. Often I think that we look at opposition as one of the worst things that could happen to us. Anybody here like to be opposed? Anybody, anybody likes to be thwarted in their plans? Don't we just live for that? No, of course we don't. But Yahweh knows better. He knows that opposition is not the worst thing that could happen to us. And in fact, he uses it, in spite of the opposition, to make you and me into the servants that he has ordained to serve him well in this life. Um, In a manner that if we didn't have the resistance, if we didn't have the difficulties, if we didn't have the opposition, we would probably not be uh, very well prepared because here's a reality of something that, okay, you ready? Um, this life isn't perfect. If it was, we wouldn't have to worry about opposition, right? It'd be smooth sailing. A number of you in here are or have been builders wouldn't it be nice if every building project that you had just went absolutely perfectly? You didn't have any lousy lumber. You didn't have any nails that bent. You didn't have 
um, any concrete that didn't cure properly that you had to go then knock all out again. Wouldn't it be nice if everything just went swimmingly along? And yet, because the world doesn't work that way, if you never experienced any of those things in your building career, how are you going to handle that when it happens down the road? You're going to fold on it, or are you going to be able to soldier through and go, oh yeah, this is, how I, this is what happened last time, this is what we can do, this will fix that, and move ahead, and, and still accomplish your task. Well, it's a similar kind of concept here that we'll be looking at today. So, with that in mind, let's look at uh, some encouraging things, actually, to begin with, uh, that, uh, that come our way, and certainly when we have victories in our life, or spiritual victories, or otherwise... It's wonderful when people recognize that and they come alongside and they encourage us. Uh, enjoy those times because they can be rare. But nonetheless, when they come along, uh, that's a blessing from the Lord. And really we see uh, Yahweh doing that for David here. In forming what I've put in quotation marks in there, a support network. A support network. Here's David, who's got really no connections at all. He shows up, the, the, the slightest of connections is that he's gone into the court from time to time to play on the lyre for Saul to calm him down when he's, when he's struggling. But that's not a really strong connection. Saul doesn't even remember who the guy is. Has to ask somebody else, who is this guy? It's like, he's been in your court, you know, but Saul's not paying attention. So if you think about somebody being a champion for the Lord, we tend to uh, think that that it's just, uh, we're going to go out, well, at least when we're young, maybe when we're old too, but when we're young, we tend to have a take on the world kind of complex, and yes, we can go out and I can do this, we feel young and strong and able and all of that, but honestly, we couldn't do anything if we didn't have a support network of, of family or community, church, any of those things, right? Uh, um, lone rangers have a difficult time in this world. It goes contrary to the way the Lord made us and designed us to function. So he gives us uh, a support network. And this support often comes from unexpected sources. And that's the first thing we notice here with Jonathan. Jonathan is the crown prince. If you go back earlier in 1 Samuel, you can look at 1 Samuel chapter 14. We won't take time to do that this morning. But Jonathan already was a proven mighty warrior in his own right. He was loved by the people. Remember, the people came to his defense because he'd gone out and he'd conquered the Philistines, uh, took it to them. He and his armor bearer, they were like, well, we're going to go. And, and Jonathan's words, by the way, in 1 Samuel 14, are very similar to the kinds of things that David was saying about Goliath. Who are these uncircumcised people who think they can stand up against the God of heaven? You know what? If God wants us to take him down, we're taking him down. Let's go. And the two of them go down there and they, they, uh, they uh, kill a bunch of them, rout the rest of them, and they have this great victory. And on the way home, they're hungry. So they find a, 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 a um, beehive. It's got some honey in it. Have some honey there refreshed and all that, not knowing that Saul had cursed everybody. Anybody, nobody could eat anything, you know, uh, or, or they're subject to death, which was a stupid thing for Saul to say. So Jonathan didn't know anything about it. Jonathan shows back up, and uh, they're like, wait a minute. And Saul wants to kill his own son. And the people rescue him from that, saying, no, you're not doing that. He's just had this great victory, and you're going to do this to Israel? No, it's not happening. I don't know if that incident colored anything about his, you know, in Jonathan's mind about his father and all of that. It doesn't say. But essentially, Jonathan, who's the crown prince, knights David on the spot. Um, as he hears Saul and David conversing, he hears what all of this that's gone on. Jonathan just says, Here, you know what? 
He didn't just take the sword and tap him on the shoulder. He's, what, does he, what does he do? It says, he gave him the, his royal robe, his armor, his sword, his bow, his belt. Equipped him to essentially, by, particularly by giving that robe to him, essentially said, you know what? You're the crown prince. And Jonathan actually would live that out and remain true to that throughout the experience. We'll see that more as we go on. But David certainly could have had no expectation that that would happen. And yet, that happens. I, I know in my life, uh, and I expect if you think about your experience in the Lord as well, uh, there are times and struggles uh, that you. There are times of struggle that you have gone through, and you didn't know how you were going to get through this. And the Lord brings along someone, um, even someone of some prominence, that comes alongside, and and says, "I'm in your corner." And the encouragement of that has to be huge. I, I as we go through and look at the ongoing developing friendship between David and Jonathan, that relationship would encourage David and, and give him um, the determination to continue on with what God had called him to do it, it, on numerous occasions. You never know who Yahweh will raise up to stand in your corner with you. Be grateful for that when it happens. Uh, rejoice in that. Be uh, don't try to feel like you've got to be a martyr to go, no, 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 I got it. It's like, no, don't do that. Um, let the Lord's uh, helpers come alongside and help you. David's anointed, he's been anointed the king. Um, it's not clear, it doesn't appear that Saul knew that at this point. Jonathan didn't know that, but David knew it. David could have gone, well, you know what? I don't need this help. I've already been anointed king. God's going to take care of me. Thanks anyway, Jonathan. I don't want, you know. No. He enters into a covenant with, with Jonathan, and they form a friendship that uh, would stand uh, firm through every, every up and down that David had with Saul. Secondly, there was support that came to David and support that comes to you and me. Uh, in this particular case, his support came to him from those whom he served. The people that he blessed by his work. Well, in this case, it's described as the women in the cities. I presume the men as well, but certainly the women were prominent and coming out of the cities and singing and praising the Lord for their deliverance from the Philistines by the hand of David and Saul. Oh, Saul didn't feel like he got the top billing he deserved. <clears throat> Nonetheless, they had uh, David had that support. Now, to some degree, we tend to expect that the people that we do things for and benefit will appreciate us. And to some degree, that's a reasonable expectation. But let me remind you of the title of this sermon. Sometimes... Uh, there truly is uh, the biting of the hand that you know feeds you, and you know not everybody's always happy with you, just because you're there serving them. Just because you do something for them doesn't mean they won't uh, turn on you. And certainly that would happen in David's in David's life. But here at the beginning, the Lord is establishing this support network of the people of the nation itself who recognized the, the deliverance and he would need this in the days to come even though not everyone as we will note um, thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread third <clears throat> your support comes from your colleagues this is why it's kind of important to have good colleagues to Think about who, who you work with, who you join shoulders with, and so on. Um, I can tell you from my standpoint, as a, just very simply, as a pastor here in this church, uh, the constant encouragement of your elders to me personally is 
beyond describing. To know I have, that they have my back is, is an amazing thing and gives me the strength and the encouragement to go on and do the things that I am called to do, sometimes hard things that we're called to do. Things that if they were not in my corner, I would be really tempted to cut and run from doing. And David has that same kind of support network that the Lord raises up here. And that is his colleagues were the military. Okay, even though he was a junior colleague at this point. But nonetheless, they saw him as one of their own. He went out against this, this uh, wicked champion that nobody else could stand up against. And he did what they couldn't do. And it appears, at least in this initial period of time, and that they, they looked upon him as one of their own. And you see that in, in verse 5, which is a really more of a, it's kind of a little bit out of place in the narrative. It's just sort of stuck in there as a summary thought, not, not uncommon in Hebrew narrative. But David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war, and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. David was one of the servants of Saul. He was one of the soldiers of Saul. And the, the military and Saul's servants thought highly of him at the beginning. And all this sounds really great. It, and it is great. Because David is going to need all the friends that he can get in the years to come. And, and interestingly, the, we're going to see that Saul, who looks like he's going to be a friend at the very beginning, but then really quickly turns out not to be, Saul is, uh, uh, the, the Lord is using Saul as well to make this support base a reality. David, as he flees from Saul, people are going to hide him, people are going to supply, for, supply him. When he finally is able to come back and assume the throne, there's a support base already in place. It starts here. Even though, as we're going to see, David might go, this is great, we're celebrating, this is wonderful, everybody's happy. Oh boy. Reality check. David's going to benefit from the residual effects of this initial enthusiastic support for years to come. Now, uh, let me finish the thought of how Yahweh uses Saul to make this, to help make this support base a reality. Saul's actions, not to mention David's, but Saul's actions in the days to come. He's the king, he's got all the position, he's got all the power, but his actions made it really clear in the years to come who was God's man and who wasn't. So that that support base that was raised up here would have some ability to know who should I really follow, who should I really support. So even in a kind of a, it seems like a backwards way, but the Lord uses Saul's sins against David to encourage the hearts of the people as to who God's king really was supposed to be. So a support network. The Lord works to gives us this support network so that when we face opposition, we can stand more easily. The second way that the Lord works in spite of opposition is to use opposition, which may seem a little bit counterintuitive. Um, if you're filling in the uh, note sheets there, uh, the word you're going to put in that blank is enemies. Yahweh works to send you suitable enemies. And you're looking at me now like suitable enemies. How does that work? How does that work? Well, <clears throat> think about this. Think about how quickly things can change. The timeline that we have in these brief verses um, is... You, if you didn't catch it already, it's two days. Two days. Day one, David kills Goliath, is befriended by Jonathan, is drafted by Saul, enjoys the celebration of a nation. Day two, he survives two assassination attempts. Things can change really fast, can't they? But what is all that about? Did, 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 the, did, did Yahweh just miss something? 
Did Yahweh just turn off His sovereignty on day two? Because we tend to be really happy with sovereignty when we're uh, drafted to do great things, when everybody wants to be our friend, when everybody's celebrating all the great stuff that we did. But it's a lot harder when someone's trying to kill us to think that God might be sovereign on those days too. And yet He is. So what's going on there? You look at Saul's progress. It's dramatic over the two days. At first, as we saw a couple weeks ago in chapter 17, and and even here in the initial verses here, as as Saul takes him that day, wouldn't let him return to his father's house. Saul's impressed with David. So far, so good. But really quickly, when you get to verses 8 and 9, and he hears the songs of the the people as they're coming coming through the towns uh, on their way back to... uh, uh, on the way back to their, uh, the, the, the palace, the way back uh, home, Saul is jealous. And then, by the time you get to the end of this section that we read, verse 12, he's afraid. Really dramatic turn of events. And those characteristics of being impressed by David, being jealous of David, and being afraid of David... Those are going to wrestle in Saul throughout the remainder of his life and are going to impact every interaction that he has with David. And note, uh, take a look at verse 10. This is uh, an interesting word uh, regarding this harmful spirit from God. We talked about this um, a few weeks back. And here it's renewed It rushes upon Saul, and Saul raves within his house while David is playing the lyre. He raved. That word rave uh, was last used um, uh, of Saul back in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel and verse 10. And that's where Saul is found among the prophets prophesying. And people are going, what? What's going on, you know, with, with Saul? Is he now among the prophets and so on because the Spirit of God came upon him and he was, he was prophesying and preaching and uh, seeing visions and whatever else they were doing there. But it comes across as being in an ecstatic state. And now the same word is used here. But this, there's an evil spirit going on and the ravings, the, the ecstatic state is not a positive thing here. It's a demonstration that he's under the control of something else. And in this case, it's an evil spirit. He is, he's lost it. And jealousy, ah, it's a powerful motive for revenge. It's a powerful motive for self-preservation. And it can make you do all kinds of things that are wicked and ungodly. And certainly uh, that jealousy, that fear clearly altered uh, Saul's mental state and emotional state. Now, I'm not going to say this as in in defense of Saul, because what he did was inexcusable. But if you go back and look at 1 Samuel 14, verses 47 and 48, the things that people are saying about David here in chapter 18 were things that they were saying before about Saul. Saul loved to hear these things. Saul, Saul rejoiced in having the, the accolades of the community. But since then, he'd been opposed by the people. And now they're, they're notching him down a ratchet or two as they're raising up David. And he sees the handwriting on the wall and knows that uh, the words that Samuel had said to him that his, his kingdom was, would come to an end and that the Lord would raise up a man after God's own heart to take his place. I'm sure those things were etched into his mind. And that jealousy he just could not um, deal with. But why, is, why does the Lord allow this mighty enemy raving or not, uh, 
for David, the shepherd boy, the king, king Saul was a formidable opponent. And in some ways, you know, his stature as an opponent in many ways would far eclipse the, the warm and fuzzy feelings about Jonathan's covenant and the accolades of the people and the army. Because Saul, Saul had all the power, didn't he? Saul had the position. And David had nothing. Why would the Lord bring such an opponent against uh, such a vulnerable servant? And you and I may wonder the same kinds of things when we are faced with opposition. Sometimes it's spiritual opposition uh, from others. Sometimes it's just, um, whether it's professional jealousy or whether it's uh, some other kind of, they just don't like you and they work against you at cross purposes to you. We wonder, you know, why? What have I, what have I done? I, didn't I just have this great victory? Didn't, am, am I not being faithful in serving you? Why am I going through this opposition? Why am I going through this struggle? Why are the, the things that I came to depend most, I have come to depend most upon in my life and have seen wonderful things and find the most pleasure and joy in don't seem to uh, be enough to ward off opposition and affliction and difficulty in trial. How could such enemies, how could such opposition be suitable? Well, number one, look at verse 10. This harmful spirit from God rushes on Saul. He raves within his house. And while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. You need enemies to test your faith. Let me say that again. You need enemies to test your faith. Did you catch it in this verse that David is returning to play as he did day by day? David is anointed to be the king. He's just killed the most fearsome enemy that Israel has ever faced. If there would ever be an occasion for David to say, now's the time I'm taking the kingdom, I'm going for it, this is it. He did not do that. He returned to his humble duties because that's what God had called him to do. That's, that's in the time frame, that's where he was. It was not yet the time for him to ascend the throne. The Lord Jesus Christ would have a similar mindset in his earthly ministry when people would come to him and say, now's the time, let's make you king. Look at this, you're feeding us, you're doing all these wonderful things. And he said, no, my hour is not yet. Because the Lord Jesus Christ trusted the plan of his father. David trusted the plan of his Lord. You can trust God's plan for your life, even though you may not uh, come to the ascendancy and all the glory that you would like to have and the freedom from opposition that you would like to have. I'm not saying that those things are bad things to desire, but to, by faith, uh, allow the Lord to be sovereign in your life and not take the reins into your own hands. David did not do that. He was prepared. He went back the very next day, the very next day, and resumed his duties. And David's faith would be tested over and over and over again, you see it through the Psalms as he responds to many times of where the Psalms uh, do give you a, a clear indication by their titles as he's fleeing from Saul. And then other times you can surmise pretty easily that he's talking about uh, the opposition that he's facing either from Saul or others. And David always comes to the conclusion that God is in control and that he is safe in the Father's hands and he presses on. It's no different for you and me. We might like it if everything went easily all the time. If we never had any sorrows. Okay, it's not that we, would might, we might like it. We would really like that. But the Lord knows better. He knows how to use opposition to strengthen us and encourage us and keep us going. And this is one of those ways. We need opposition. We need enemies to test your faith. And I want you to consider this. 
that day, as David returns to play, how many times did Saul try to kill him? Twice. What does that tell you? That David returned to play after the first assassination attempt. Now you can either think, all right, (laughs) he's a little dense, or he's chalking it up to, you know, what's going on with Saul, and he's not expecting that to there to be a repeat. Saul's clearly out of his mind. David is, David is still working to honor Saul. Talk about an exercise of faith to go back and resume your duties. And finally, uh, after the second one, he said, well, I think it's, it's prudent. I think, uh, I think I we're done for today. And uh, you don't get the idea that he went back after that. But to return after the first one, anybody here would have returned after the first one? Probably not. We might think anybody that would do that would be a little crazy in the head themselves. But David, David's faith was strong and the Lord would continue to use Saul as an opponent to test him, test his faith. And not just the faith. Uh, If you look uh, at what you see in verse 5, and then we'll compare this with verses 13 and 17 as well. You need enemies not just to test your faith, but to test your skills. Now, as a basic principle, just even in physical exercise, right, that you need to have enough resistance, whether from weight or bands or whatever else. If you don't have any resistance, you can move around all you want, and it doesn't really do you a whole lot. You need that resistance to strengthen and tone you. You can't just expect to go the easy way all the time and expect to make any progress. You you won't. It's the same way in life in general. You need opposition. You need opportunities for challenge to test and to improve your skills. And the Lord knows that. David is not a warrior. He is a shepherd. He has some transferable skills. We talked about that. But as far as really going out there and learning, you know, he didn't, what did he know of battle tactics and really the best way to use a sword and a shield or whatever other weapons there are and when to use them and when not to use them and how to arrange an order of men into companies to actually be effective in the battles and all of that. David had no experience whatsoever. And what does Saul do? Immediately, Saul takes him, won't let him now, remember he's been going back and forth between his father's house and Saul's uh, palace. Now, Saul just says, nope, you're with me. You're gonna, and from that day, he's, he's, he begins to put him into power. And then you look at verse 5. Again, that's kind of a summary statement there. Uh, wherever Saul sent him. Saul set him over the men of war. Remarkable thing. And you might even think it seems kind of odd. Particularly since Saul was the way Saul was. Doesn't it seem odd to you? That he would put David into leadership? And yet, uh, maybe not. Maybe it's not so odd. Look at verses 13 and 17. Saul removed him from his presence, made him commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. Sounds great. Verse 17. Um, I'm going to, here's my daughter, elder daughter, Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the, the Lord's battles. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Saul's in my court. But Saul thought, what was Saul thinking? Let not my hand be against him, but let the hands of the Philistines be against him. He wanted to put David out there in harm's way so he'd be killed. Yeah. What's that? Beware somebody bringing gifts. Well, anyway, kind of the idea here. Saul is uh, seeming to elevate him, but has um, wicked motives in doing so. But no matter what Saul's motivation was, he turned David into a true warrior by putting him into those positions. If Saul hadn't done that, David would have never gained those skills. 
at least not in the fashion that he did and the time that he did, and in the way that he did that would make his future um, conflicts successful. That's why you need suitable enemies. Because they can turn you from a one-shot wonder into someone who can actually maintain and stand. So I'm not saying that we should go, oh, great, I've got opposition. i got people who don't like me. i got people who hate me. i have people that are working at cross-purposes to me. Isn't this lovely? No, but at the same time recognize that by the hand of God, he knows what he's doing and he knows what you need. He knows what you need to be able to do. And he'll teach you in some lesser matters, even though Goliath wasn't really a lesser matter, but in the big scheme of things of all that David would do, one-on-one combat compared to leading armies and leading eventually the entire nation, it was a lesser matter. He gives us those victories and gives us those opportunities then to grow in our skills so that we can face the bigger things when they come along. So be thankful for those things. Finally, Yahweh works in, in this mixed bag here in this passage of, of both accolades and opposition to reveal your character. And he certainly reveals David's character here. Even though we look at this, these verses, and a lot of it's about Saul and Saul's failings. Nonetheless, we learn quite a few things about David here. First of all, He was an admirable man. You look at verse one, and the, the soul of Jonathan was knit to him. You ever run into, run into people you just feel like, man, we are what's the, brothers from a different mother. You know, we, are, we just connect. We just understand each other, and it just seems like we've known each other our whole life. And we, well, I expect many of you have friends like that. I know I do. And they're a blessing. Um, well, that was that way for Jonathan. He looked upon David and was like, and this is my kind of guy. He functions the way a person should function. He was worthy of admiration. The people, um, the people loved him. He was a, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to say lovable guy because that sounds like, you know, like he's a teddy bear or something. Uh, but he's, he's someone that, that could be loved. There, there are people that are hard to love, right? But there are others that are very easy to love because of their, just because of their nature. And David seemed to have that kind of welcoming, personal uh, character traits that people responded to and, and uh, rejoiced in. And I think probably part of that was because uh, even though it's not really, it's not really, too, David's really not talked about specifically too much here. <clears throat> but um, you see from the way that he comes and goes with his, with his brothers, the way that he uh, deals with Goliath, the way that he talks with Saul, his, David, ha- and plus, if you just take the book of the Psalms, David has a tender heart. David has a, a caring, compassionate heart for other people. David uh, is interested in, is not just interested in himself and his needs. He's interested in other people. David never thinks of himself as entitled. David never thinks of himself as being owed anything. So he's an admirable man. Verses uh, six through eight, uh, also there is the people just respond to him so easily. Verses two and three make it really clear that, uh, to me, that David was a trustworthy man. Jonathan enters into covenant with him. It's it's a two-way street. Jonathan's the initiator here, but David responds. And this this covenant is something that, again, is going to last as long as Jonathan lives. And David was true to that covenant. He was trustworthy. And certainly when you look at Saul putting him in, in place over leadership, uh, in leaders in places of leadership over companies of the the army. 
even though he hoped David would, would fall at the hands of the Philistines, nonetheless, there was a trustworthiness about him. Again, a rookie commander, and everybody in the, in the military there is happy about it. Does that sound odd to you? Even to those of us that have not been in the military, we, we know the whole stereotype about uh, soldiers who have to put up with wet-behind-the-ears lieutenants. Hopefully nobody was a lieutenant here. Right, but I mean, that's the stereotype. You know, men want to follow people who are seasoned, knowledgeable, yet they all saw David as trustworthy and followed him readily. And part of that is because, the third point here, he was capable. He was successful everywhere he went. He learned fast. He picked up what he needed to pick up and, and was resourceful and was victorious in all of his uh, uh, efforts uh, militarily. And that's the focus there in verse 5. And of course, this is not, though the, the military part of it is a new wrinkle, Earlier, do you remember the recommendation that when, they, when Saul was looking for someone to, to uh, come in and play, and uh, one of his servants said, oh, there's this young you know, Bethlehemite uh, who keeps sheep out there, and he is this, and he is this, and he is this, and he is this, and you know, he has the Spirit of God. No, by the way, yeah, he can play. He was known for his capabilities, and uh, he used them well. And yet, in spite of that, uh, again, I return you to verse 10. He's playing the liar there, as he did day by day. That's expre- that says something about his humility. Well, it's kind of suggesting, I had suggested that a little bit earlier. He's still playing the liar after killing Goliath. When he, in many number of other people, might have gone saying, well, you know what, I think I've graduated now. I don't think, I need to, you need to turn this mediocre media uh, stuff to somebody else. I, I, I've got bigger fish to fry. David didn't do that. It's, it's a demonstration of his humility that he retained that role there in the palace. And verse 11, this is kind of an obvious one, but it, it, it is something that uh, it factors into his character. And that is that it says that David evaded Saul twice. That tells me that he's an aware man. He's got his eyes open. He's paying attention. He's not just blissfully going along. Um, he, he, if, if you've ever been around someone that is, is struggling um, uh, with mental distress, that's not a time for you to get lackadaisical. You have to pay attention because there's an unpredictability about them. And Saul was certainly in that frame of mind. David didn't let his guard down. Though I rather expect he probably wasn't expecting what Saul did, per se. But nonetheless, um, you think about how much time it takes to grab a spear and throw it. Uh, David was able to move fast. He was aware and therefore avoided trouble. That awareness is going to help him in the years to come. In verse 12, perhaps the most uh, important trait of all, that Yahweh was with him. The Spirit of God had departed from Saul, but the Spirit of God was with David. And so David was a Spirit-filled man. So let me ask you this. We'll wrap up here pretty quickly then with this thought. What do conflicts reveal about your character? See what these conflicts revealed about David's character. The Lord used them to, to demonstrate, again, who God's man was and who wasn't. But are those characteristics that are modeled by David, who's a man after God's own heart, are those characteristic of you? Or when you face uh, opposition and hardship, do you get distant and unapproachable? Do you get suddenly... Uh, uh, find yourself being unreliable, nobody can really depend upon you, you're kind of flighty, you're all over, the, all over the place. Are you suddenly incapable of doing anything? Are you suddenly manipulative? Are you arrogant? You become arrogant or entitled? Maybe even just kind of clueless, not really sure what's going on, and more filled with yourself than with the Spirit of God. 
The Lord is going to use opposition to reveal your character. Nothing like a little, a, a little rain and a little storm and, a, and some spills to reveal where, whether uh, a piece of furniture is solid wood through and through or if it's just nice looking veneer over junk. That's the point that I'm getting at here. The opposition that David went through revealed character, character of God that revealed he truly was a man after God's own heart. You know, when David um, forgot to live according to these principles and live true to these characteristics that the Lord had prepared in him, the results were disastrous, were they not? But when he walked uh, in faithfulness to these godly characteristics, the Lord used him mightily in Israel. So, don't get too comfortable with comfort. Opposition and hardship are necessary because they ready you for the Lord's service. But be assured that He works in spite of that hardship to, and, you, and, and even using that hardship to equip you, to sustain you, even when it feels like no matter what you do, enemies arise. Opposition shows its face. Trust Yahweh in the midst of your trials and press on. Don't worry about whether someone wants to punish you for that good deed. Thank God for his sovereign use of those things in your life to make you a better servant for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example that we have here from the life of David of your marvelous wisdom and using things that we don't like to make us better at what you call us to do. Help us to be faithful to you, Lord, and not turn and run when we face hardship. Help us not to uh, abandon our faith because of, of opposition and affliction disappointment. Lord, let us rest in you and know that no matter how long it takes, you will work to accomplish your purposes and they will be marvelous for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.